So uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I love talking to people about this because there's so many questions and there's so many different things about the end of the story. Um, so here's what we're going to do. We are going to start by watching the video for one last time of this gentleman who's got incredible art skills and everything else is going to explain to us the end of the story. And you know what I love about this? He ignores the prophecy. He ignores the confusion. And this video perfectly encapsulates the joy that's coming to all of us. So let's watch this story one more time. And that's what's coming. I love, I, and we could literally just about go home on that, but here's the deal. Um, so a couple disclaimers first. First disclaimer, nothing I have to say today is to take away from next week. I literally want this week to be a precursor for next week. Does that make sense? Like, because I, I haven't done the study or the work that this gentleman coming in has on the end time. So I don't at all want this to take the place of. You, you're going to want to be here to hear what he has to say. Get the times and everything. Are the times on the power, on the announcements? I can't remember. They are? Okay. So afterwards, if you want to know the times, hang out and see on there. So that's just a, another plug for check out the announcements. But I want to give a precursor. What does that mean? I want to teach us the best thinking possible to prepare our hearts and our minds for a study on the end times. Um, so the clip I was going to start with, my wife went and got me some water, thank you. The clip I was going to start with was from a very theologically accurate movie, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Those who laugh have seen it or have heard about it. That's why the Holy Spirit kind of told me, why don't you not use the clip? So I'm going to describe it to you, okay? So... The entire movie is a satire. It's a B-movie. I say theologically accurate, very tongue-in-cheek, because it's very stupid. It's my, my wife says she actually gets dumber when she watches it, so we haven't seen it in years. But the very last scene, when, when I heard that I was doing the book of Revelation, for some reason, that's the first thought that came to my mind. Maybe that's the symbol that I'm still a youth pastor. I don't know what it is. But the whole movie, for those of you who don't know, is King Arthur chasing down the Holy Grail. Again, very stupid movie, but it's the idea of him chasing down the Holy Grail. So the whole thing is in medieval times. We're talking swords, spears, cloaks, all this stuff, okay? Has anybody ever seen the movie Braveheart? So we kind of know that based on the culture of Braveheart, the movie was building up and building up. And you know the last scene when he's talking, I am William Wallace, and he just kind of goes nuts, and he's building up his army. We kind of know how that story ends, right? They're fighting and everything else, and we kind of see how the story ends. Most stories end inside the cultural mindset that they have, right? When you watch a story in the 21st century, it's going to end in the 21st century. So here's the deal with Monty Python. It's medieval everything, okay? It's medieval dress, medieval talk, medieval weapons, and all of a sudden King Arthur talks to his guys, and he's like, we're going to go storm the castle and take the Holy Grail. Some of you are going, <laughs> Revelation what? Watch. Okay? And at the very end of the movie, it's the dumbest ending in all movie history because they're storming the gate and he's like Braveheart speech and they start running medieval times, spears, everything else. They're running at this middle-aged castle and two 20th century police cars pull up in front of them and arrest King Arthur and the movie ends. Exactly. <laughs> dumbest ending possible. And I'm going, where did that ending come from? It didn't fit the culture. It didn't fit my expectations. It didn't fit what I thought was coming. I think that's exactly what's going to happen with the end times. 
We're, and again, this is not a disclaimer for anything. This is not against anything. I want you to understand, the author holds the pencil, the author holds an eraser, and the author's in control. And I got a feeling when we all get to heaven, we're going to see him and go, oh, that's how it ended. So I want, us to, I want us to learn this one principle, is a lot of people want to change their results, but they try to change the wrong thing. The results are at the very bottom. It's the last thing that happens. What creates your results is your actions or your habits that you have in your life. Pretty agreeable, right? Would you agree that your actions or the things we do come from our thought process? Makes sense. Where does our thought process come from? From the information that we've been given up to this point. Does anybody have some uh, Christmas traditions that you didn't create, but you've taken from your childhood? Well, do they have to be done that way? Well, in my house they do, right? Because I've been told that. Well, you know, I know a lot of people, though, that they're not satisfied with their results and they try to change their actions. But what's the problem with that? They haven't changed their thought process, right? And a lot of people want to change their thought process, but they don't know how. I would write this verse down if you don't know how to change your thought processes. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Take captive every thought and imagination and make it obedient to Christ. So Chris, why do you talk about that? The reason I talk about that is that because I think a lot of times we look at the end times through, and I haven't done this in a long time, so bear with me, through the paradigm of culture today, okay? We, we tend to see and know only the information and thought processes that we have. And there's usually, I'm going to call this the end times pendulum. Does anybody know what a pendulum is? I think it swings back and forth. Because there's a pendulum that people tend to go to, and uh, there's usually two extremes. On the one side, we have the extreme of obsession, is when people become obsessed about the end times. Would you, have you ever met anybody like this? Uh, there was a gentleman that I met, one, and again, please understand, I don't like having to give disclaimers this much, but I don't want anybody to get frustrated at me, because people tend to get really intense about the end times. I'm like, why don't we get intense about the book of James, which talks about how our attitude should be tomorrow morning. That's subject for another time. But people tend to get really intense about this, so this is not putting anything down, but would you agree that if we become obsessed about the end times, that that can be dangerous? Would we also agree that the other extreme of apathy can also be just as dangerous if we completely ignore that the, there is an end coming? Have you ever met anybody who they believe they're never going to die? Like there's no end. They're just living for today, Right? Everything's for today. Joy is for today. It's like there's no long-term thinking at all. So here's the point of what we're going to talk about this morning, is there are a lot of similarities with people who live on both sides and both extremes of the end times paradigm, or the end, the end times pendulum. I'm thinking paradigm. So we're going to go over some of the similarities because we need to be careful about any of these. There's a statement I wrote down. We need to come back towards center and realize that although it should never be an obsession, the end of times is a foregone conclusion and should be considered. Is that, is that pretty obvious? We need to consider it. Now, side note, the end of your life is a foregone conclusion, and you need to give it some thought. Okay? There is appointed man wants to die, and we talked about that this morning, and then the judgment. We have one shot at this. And just on a total side note that has nothing to do with this, do not waste the time you've been given. Every second of every day that you live is a gift 
And I heard it said one time that the life we have is God's gift to us. What we do with that life is our gift back to him. So you've got to determine how much time this week did you waste? And that's not a criticism. That's an honest self-evaluation. If you walked into a football game at halftime, what's the first question you're going to ask? What's the score? What if, what if the guy next to you said, oh, we're not keeping score, we're just playing? I would walk out because that's not football, right? But how many of us in our lives, we don't have a scoreboard? We have no clue if we're succeeding or failing. We have no clue if the enemy's up or if we're up. We're just living life to go to work, come home, go to work, come home. So my challenge is, as we go through this, not only, your job is not to ask yourself what the person next to you's mindset is, your job is to figure out where do you stand. And there, there's three questions we're gonna talk about at the end that I want you to think about. So here we go. Number one, what do both of these extremes, obsession and apathy, have in common? First of all is a lack of focus on Jesus. When, when, when the obsession comes, we tend to focus on the contents or we tend to focus on the prophecies without focusing on who the prophecies are based on. I, it, it grinds me when I hear people say the book of Revelations, number one, it's not plural. Number two, what is the full name of the book? It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've been trained in culture, well, Revelations says, no, the revelation of Jesus Christ says. So when we leave the paradigm, that the entire book, everything that's in there is based on Jesus Christ and him revealing himself, his power, his greatness, we're off base. Does that make sense? So we have to be careful walking into a study on end times that we don't forget it's all about Jesus. Make sense? Now, what about the other side? What about apathy? Apathy, and, and here's a statement I made about obsession, by the way. When confusion comes, come back to Jesus. If you ever get confused about the end times, come back to Jesus. Just, just make it easy. Well, Chris, I don't know about this. Come back to Jesus. Come back to Jesus. It's what the whole Bible's focused on. Now, at the same time, he didn't give us only 65 books. He gave us 66 so apathy says we're going to focus on our current reality with no thoughts that Jesus actually wants to reveal himself to us. Sometimes I've lived like this. Sometimes I tend to have too much of a short-term focus and I live on today's reality and kind of forget that Jesus is in a constant state of walking next to us, asking us, hey, please let me reveal myself to you. Let me reveal my goodness to you. Let me reveal my faithfulness to you. Every situation, and I'm, please don't understand me, it's bad theology to think that God sends us every bad thing that happens to us. James chapter one blows that out of the water. But what does Romans 8, 28 say? And everything that happens to us, he will work it out for our good and his glory. Some of that verse says, but still, that's the idea, right? His good or his glory, our good. Here's the point. We tend to especially in American culture today and in American churches today, we can focus so much on the end times that we forget Jesus. We can also focus so much on today that we forget Jesus. That's a very big danger that we have to be very careful of. So we need to remember Jesus is still in the habit of revealing himself to us today. You realize Satan's ultimate goal for you is destruction? But if he can't destroy you, guess what he's going to do? He's going to keep you confused and distracted. Confused and distracted. Confused and distracted. Confused about what? Confused about everything that is focused on Christ. 
If he can keep you confused about Revelation, if he can keep you confused on Romans, if he can keep you confused about church, if he can keep you confused about your health, if he can keep you confused about today, you won't think about tomorrow. And we won't think about Jesus. And what about distracted? Don't even get me started. How easy is it to get distracted in today's society? I'm not even going to get into the idea that I personally think there's a plan behind it, but let's just forget that and go, how easy is it, right? It's tough for even me as an adult to go a few minutes without checking my phone, right? There's actually a documented disease now that says when somebody's phone vibrates and you think it's yours. Just, just stop and think about how sad, like we, we laugh at it, but I want you to stop and think about how sad that is that we've become that dependent on something, Right? So let's just kind of think how easy, if Satan can keep us distracted away from Christ, he wins. He wins. So stop and ask yourself, when's the last time I've spent any time in my day focused on Christ? You realize when you read the Bible, it's a revelation of Christ. When you pray, you're praying to Christ. Everything that happens in your life should point back to him. So we should neither live in obsession about the book of Revelation and forget Jesus, or obsessed with today and we forget Jesus in the future too. Make sense? On the same page? Okay, so when we go into next week, let's remember everything that's talked about is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. Next, number two. And I may have to fly through my other points because this is the one I want to focus on most. Obsession or apathy, and I wish I had my soapbox down here, is the presence of fear. Is the presence of fear. I don't have the verse up here, but I want you to write it down. 2 Timothy 1.7. God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I could preach an entire sermon on this, and I probably will very soon. But here's the point. Let me, let me start with obsession. Would you, would, do you know anybody who tends to be so obsessed with the prophecies or whatever else, or confused by the prophecies that they live in fear of the book of Revelation? Maybe you, maybe someone you know. Please understand me here. Do you think that the Holy Spirit of God inspired John to write the, sixth, the last book of the Bible, the end of the story, to put fear in you? Are, 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 we, are we on the same page? The Holy Spirit inspired John to write this to have a revelation of Jesus, not to put fear in you. If you feel fear, it's one of two things. It's confusion or it's just Satan straight up trying to make you fearful. So please understand me, an obsession with the book of Revelation and with prophecy, if it creates fear, we're off base, and we need to come back to center. And here's one thing that, I, I, Holy Spirit just told me this, so we're going to go here. The same verse, 2 Timothy 1.7, people ask me all the time, Chris, how do I combat fear? Don't ask me, ask 2 Timothy 1.7. God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. How do I get a sound mind? Let's go to tons of other scriptures. Is this making sense? We can go to scripture to teach us how to battle fear, but instead I'm scared we go to each other. Make sense? We go to each other. Hey, Chris, tell me how to get rid of fear. Well, pinch yourself in a happy place. Just imagine yourself strong will and just will yourself out of fear. That will never happen. Let's go to the other side because I think this is where more people are at. For obsession, by the way, let's just remember we're characters in the play. And we're not authors. I hope it takes some of the fear away that, number one, your God is good. And if our God is good, then why should we be afraid of what's coming in Revelation, right? Because to be perfectly honest, if we're scared of what's happening in Revelation, then we, I'm going to challenge we really don't believe in the goodness of God. 
right? We really don't believe in the goodness of God if we're scared about something that's coming. So next, here's where I think most people tend to live, though. It's either fear caused by focusing on possibilities of future events, which is too much long-term vision, or here's the one most of us live in, fear caused by focusing on current events and not enough long-term vision, way too much short-term. And I've talked about this a half dozen times in sermons, but I want you to realize if your fear and your current circumstances are living here, it's really hard to see Jesus in anything. Make sense? How many people were here when we talked about zooming out? There's a certain point where you've got to remember, if I, I want to say this right, because I want you to take this right. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm saying as followers of Christ, it's necessary. It's necessary, okay? I'm going to literally have two next slides, and I want you to write these verses down. I'm going to read them off the slides. Pastor Mark said something before we go there. Pastor Mark said something last week. Hold on just a second before we go there because I don't want anybody to get distracted by this. Pastor Mark said something last week, and I honestly don't know if anybody caught it. And if you did, I hope you've been focusing on it all week. He said this, faith and fear cannot live consistently in the same person. Now, will we have moments of fear? Of course, because we live in a broken world. I've used this example a half dozen times. Did God or Satan take my dad away? No, my dad was taken away because we live in a sinful world and there's death and there's sickness. And until we go to heaven, which is the ultimate healing, by the way, or if you're a video gamer, it's the ultimate upgrade. I, I always think of the little Super Mario brother, like on earth, I'm a little Super Mario brother. In heaven, I get a mushroom and I become big and I get a star. Do, 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 do. All right. That's just the way I think of it. So here's the point. I think way too much we tend to focus on today's circumstances and we end up living consistently in fear. And can I be perfectly straight with you for just a second? Living consistently all the time in fear, worry, or stress is never God's plan. Never God's plan. Ever. And how do I know that? Let's read these scriptures together. Please write these down. Let's just go through a lot of these. Deuteronomy 31.8. The Lord is the one who goes before you. Do, do we even believe that? Do we even try? Because again, it's easy to say until tomorrow morning when something hits us in the face, then we tend to forget, don't we? Let's just be straight. Don't we forget this? The Lord is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. I'm going to ask this a hundred times. Is that a command or a suggestion? It's an imperative statement for those English Nazis out here. It's an imperative statement. That is a command. Do not. Why should we not be afraid? The first part. Because it's the Lord who goes before you. Next. And we know that in all things work together for good. For those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, I have called you by name, you're mine that should cause some semblance of peace inside of us. You are mine. I called you by name. Brooke, I called you by name. John, I called you by name. Nick, Joshua, I called you by name. Does this make sense that sometimes our current circumstances can keep us blind to the truth of Scripture? I'm not saying we're bad 
or we're wrong or we're terrible people. This is simply a wake-up call to go, you serve a good God who is for your good and focus on current circumstances can fill us with fear. We need to get back to Scripture. We need to know. We, we, to battle something, you gotta have you got to have a weapon to fight. So when you open up the toolbox that you're going to use to fight the enemy, is there anything there? Is there any verses that are there? Is there any knowledge? I'm going to play, in fact, I think I'm going to play it right now. Um, yeah, before we go on to the next one. Actually, no, let's go on to the next one. Let's go on to the next slide. Next page, then we'll go. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love. I love you, Lord. But perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. I'm just going to let, there's no need for me to even comment, right? Psalm 18, 1 to 2, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. Please let these words on this verse sink deep into you. He is your fortress. Let's, let, let's read this. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy, sorry, no why, to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Just reading that out loud should almost empower us just a little bit, right? Like I would almost encourage you to read that in the mornings before you go, my God is the horn of my salvation. He's my fortress. I don't care what comes against me. I don't need to live in fear because he's my strength. But we live here, don't we? We live here. Again, not saying it's easy. None of this is easy. But you know, we chase easy so much, we forget that we're actually supposed to be chasing for things that are worth it. We're supposed to be chasing for things that are worth it. But so often we chase for easy. And if it's hard, we quit. I'm getting way ahead of myself. I hope you were impressed. And I hope that you were slightly challenged. Shouldn't we be? When he faces fear one day, He's got something in his quiver. He's got something to fight fear. Is he going to do it perfect every time? Of course not, guys. Please, please understand me here. You're not called to live a perfect, okay, we are called to live perfect. You're not going to do everything perfect every time. But you should be getting better next time. When something socks you in the face, you know what the challenge should be? I'm going to handle this better than I did last time. How do we do that? With weapons in our quiver. By not living here, by zooming out. God, teach me how to have perspective on this. Is this all making sense? Fear is going to happen in our lives when we get knocked down. I love Rocky Balboa. It's not about how hard you get hit. It's how, how many times you get hit and get back up. Right? And we, it's funny. We actually had, a, we had a, some business friends over, and we watched the movie Secretariat. I've never seen Secretariat. I don't know why, but it's a great movie. Disney about a horse. It's fantastic. Highly inspirational. But here's the point. You realize every success story ever, ever involves somebody falling and getting back up. Two things. Number one, you realize if they didn't get up, then their story is not worth being told because they just quit. Okay? Does that make sense? I've quit on some things in my life. You know the goal the next time? I'm not quitting again. I don't care if you've been an MSP before. What are you going to do this time? I don't care if you've been hit in the face by finances. What are you going to do this time? I don't care if you've been hit in the What are you going to do this time? This time. Quit letting Satan blind you and keep you down with fear. Remember that revelation is coming. 
Don't live in fear captured by today's circumstances. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. You know what's coming? He wins. And if you're with him, you win. So if you're captured by fear, come back to Scripture. Come back and believe what you say you know. Right? Next. Number three. Number three is there's no, and this is big for me, there's no appreciation on either side, obsession or apathy, of the mystery of God. I, there's a book, if you're a reader, there's a book, and if you're not a reader, it's a great book. It's called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Oh my gosh, that book built the mystery of God and the bigness and the greatness of who God is more than any other book in my life outside of Scripture. Like, it is amazing because he dives into the the knowledge of the holy that we have is minuscule but what if someone is obsessed with the book of revelation and prophecy and again not we should study that's what we're going to talk about but if someone's obsessed with it would you let me just ask a simple question why would you want to know all the details i don't know if you've ever been asked that question before about anything why, why do we as humans feel the need to know every single detail of anything? Because we've lost the appreciation for mystery. We've lost the appreciation for mystery. First of all, let's just say this. If we can figure out everything about God, he's not much of a God. If the creation can completely understand the creator, the creator is equal to the creation. But because we are the creation, we will... Never. We don't have the capability to understand everything about God. The Bible actually says he unveils himself as much as he wants us to understand, and he wants us to chase after him. But becoming obsessed about knowing every single detail. Now, Chris, are you talking bad about the guy coming in next week? going to be talking about details? No, because the other side is if we never study and never care about learning anything about Jesus, then I would question our relationship with him. Right? So either side... We have no appreciation for the mystery of who God is, for how big he is. I love the word awe and wonder. Because sometimes, I, and I think it was my mother-in-law, Martha, who was, who was, she was just telling me she was staring at the clouds the other day and just sitting in awe. When's the last time that you stood in awe of nature? Anything in nature, the sunrise, the sunset, the capability that birds have to fly. When you look up and see an airplane and you think that's a th- thousands of pounds of metal flying at hundreds of miles an hour through the air. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> Joshua saw a bunch of planes yesterday. So when it comes to obsession about the details, I, our college president, Dr. Rutland, I love telling this story because it's, it's my favorite study he ever did was, one was on David, one was on Revelation, because a lot of this is taken from his study. He said, okay, you want every detail of Revelation? Let's just picture the possibility of what may have happened to John. Because we sit here and we want to pick it apart like John was able to write. First of all, do you think John literally wrote down every single thing he saw? There's no way. If he saw all that we think he saw, he couldn't write it down, right? So if that's the case, and this is what Dr. Rutland told us, and I love this mental picture. He just hit away. I'm not as good as he is, but just picture this. John's sitting on an island. And he sees what's in the first few chapters, all right? It's Jesus revealed. Then it's the, it's the stars and, 
him holding the stars and speaking to the churches. Then all of a sudden, here's how Dr. Rutland put it. He said, I want you to imagine about 30 foot wide diameter and everywhere he looks is mirrors, is an individual mirror pane, mirror pane, mirror pane, all the way around him. And on every mirror pane, there's a scene like from a movie. And all of a sudden, every one of the mirror panes start to turn and rotate. And on the other side, there's another scene. And all of a sudden, all the whole circle starts to spin. Starts to spin. And then all of a sudden, poof, it's taken away. And the Holy Spirit says, now what you saw, write in the book. <laughs> Let's just say that he did see helicopters. How is he supposed to explain that? Let's just say that he saw atomic, whatever you want to fill in the blank. Like, it, number one, we can't figure it out anyways. And number two, have you ever just stopped and thought, why would we want to? If there's no mystery, there's no awe and wonder. And if we don't awe and wonder of God, then there's something deeply missing in our hearts. So let me challenge you. Don't try to figure out every detail. Give, I love the word margin. Does anybody know what margin means? It means like around your paper, there's a margin around the edge. The idea of margin is give room for error. And in this case, not error, give room for lack of knowledge. You don't need to know every detail. Know the details that make you in awe and wonder and that's focused on Christ, and then leave room to wonder about who God is. And read the knowledge of the holy. It's a good book. And the other side, let's be honest here, somebody that doesn't care about Revelation, the book of Revelation at all, that doesn't care about the revelation of Jesus Christ, the Bible says study to show yourself approved. If we don't care about studying at all, if we don't care about learning about the book of Revelation at all, if we don't think about the end time at all, think about, and here's a verse I don't have up there, Jeremiah 29, 13. I found that one this morning. Jeremiah 29, 13 says this, you will seek me and find me when you watch four hours of TV a day. Is, is that what it says? You will seek me and find me when you spend two hours on your cell phone. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You will seek me, and there's so many of us that think that we're going to have knowledge about God through osmosis or through one hour, one time a week for the rest of our lives as a sermon. You will seek me and find me, not when you hear me from a sermon. You will seek me and find me when you search for me. Does that search for me mean know every detail? It means search. It means try to find. We, we went on a bit of a fun time yesterday with Laura. I wanted to celebrate her birthday. Her birthday's on September the 11th. She said, oh, I said, no, no, that was my wife's birthday before September 11th, okay? But her birthday's coming this week, and we celebrated it. I wanted to do something fun, so I took three individual cards, and I didn't tell her where we were going. Instead, I put the longitude and the latitude, because we're both nerds, the longitude and the latitude on it, and I love Google Maps, because it didn't show her where we were going. It just said this longitude, this latitude, and then I drove there based on Google Maps, and we went to Breakout and had a good time, this kind of stuff. But here's the point. There's, don't you love the idea of searching? When you're in a dating relationship, the searching is the fun, right? Trying to figure out who you're dating. When your kids are growing up, you want to search about their personalities. You want to figure out who they are. You know that feeling of the enjoyment of the search was put in us by God? Because he wants to be searched. He wants to be sought out. So I would encourage you to beware both extremes when it comes to the mystery of God. Does that make sense? All right, and then the last one. And both extremes are the same. If we go to either extreme, we forget that Jesus wins in the end. And if we're with him, 
Everything that got us there, every tear will be wiped. Every joy will be expanded. You'll get a white rock with a new name on it, Revelation says, that only God knows. It's like so much of the cool stuff. You got to understand the cool stuff about the end times is all centered around the fact that he wins. It's all centered around that. There's no city if he doesn't win. There's no streets of gold if he doesn't win. There's no wiping every tear from our eye if he doesn't win. We've got to remember on either side, obsession says, well, we got to focus on this and the prophecy and create fear. The other side says, who cares? It doesn't really matter. Today's all that matters. We win, guys. We win. I don't care. I care what's happened to you this week because I care how it's affected you. But in the long run, this too shall pass and you win. You will win. Get knocked in the face, get knocked down, get up because you're going to win. Now, you can feel free to stay down and quit, but I heard a mentor say one time, quit to what? Has anybody else experienced a greater atmosphere than, this, than a church? Has anybody experienced a greater atmosphere than a family of God that cares about each other, that loves each other? Has anybody else experienced a peace outside of Christ that when everything's said and done, you win? This is where our center should be. This is where our focus should be. And here's what I've got in my, on my page. We gotta stay consistent and faithful until then. Is it hard? Yes. And please, please write this statement on your page. Hard doesn't equal impossible. Hard doesn't equal impossible. In fact, I would go on to say this. Anything easy in your life, the ultimate outcome of that probably isn't worth talking about. Like, guess what? I walked in here from the front, from the front door this morning. But what if I was on crutches from the front door? That would be more of a victory, right? Is this making sense? The trials create the story. We've just gone through months of the story. you got to understand, God receives the most glory when you win through your trials. He receives the most glory when you go through everything you're going through and you still win. Hard does not equal impossible. It just means hard. I meet way too many people today that quit because it's hard. Anything you will ever face in your life that is worthwhile will have hard aspects to it. School is hard. College is hard. Your work is hard. Your destiny is hard. Leaving a legacy is hard. Ministry is hard. Leading is hard. Anything worthwhile will be difficult, but you push through it, and you will win like he wins. So, so here's the thing. I'm just going to go over a few things to remember before next week in preparation. This is just kind of summing some of it up. There's nothing wrong, and I put that in parentheses for, or in those for a reason, with studying and considering prophecy. And I, I hope that that didn't come across, that you thought that was wrong. That is a very good thing to study those things, but not to become obsessed. Make sense? Not to the point of fear that we should study to show ourselves approved. You will seek me when you find me, with all, when you search for me with all your heart. Don't become obsessed with having all the details right. The gentleman who's coming in next week, he's done much more study, I would believe. That's why I didn't focus much on prophecy today. I didn't do the right study. I would go a little bit more with what he says. But understand in the final picture of things, God is God and we are not. We're characters in a story and he's the author. Okay, so... Come to study, come to have fun, come to enjoy it. 
but don't think that your job is to get every detail right in your brain because nobody ever will. I heard somebody say one time, it's going to be really funny when all the denominations get to heaven and we're going to see somebody we didn't expect, right? Because we were convinced they were wrong and they had some details wrong. We're going to get to heaven and go, really, God, you let them in? He's going to look at you and say, they said the same thing about you, <laughs> right? Don't live in fear of what's coming. I think I beat that dead horse enough, but please understand the reason it's talked about so much is because so many people live in fear on a consistent basis. That's why, Chris, why do you talk about that so much? Because we're still stuck. It's better to be reminded than taught, guys. That's why a lot of times you're gonna hear Pastor Mark preach on some of the same things. Guess what, the Bible hasn't changed, so we kinda of have to repackage the same message over and over again, because sometimes I have a thick brain and still don't get it. So sometimes the Holy Spirit needs to teach me, Chris, quit living in fear. Stay focused on Jesus as the author of the story. Next page. Here's one of the things I want you to remember, and I love, the Holy Spirit gave me this as a compilation of a lot of stuff I've heard. Ask three primary questions every time you hear a teaching, every time you hear a sermon. First of all, what does what I just heard teach me about Jesus? How should I change my relationships with other people based on what I just heard? And what changes should I make in my own life based on what I just heard? In my opinion, that's the three most important questions you can ask after a teaching, after a sermon, after a testimony from MSP, anything you do and hear in life, you should ask yourself those three questions. Why? Because one, we should be building and growing in our allness and wonder of who God is. Second of all, we should be getting better in our relationships. Agreed? Our friend, is anybody perfect in all relationships in their lives? None of us. We all can grow. So how should what I talked about this morning affect our relationships. Hopefully you can understand in fear, you shouldn't have to live in fear in relationships. You're not ever going to know every detail about your husband, wife, best friend. So you should live in some awe and wonder of them, right? And then third of all, how should you change? How should I change based on this? And the main thing I want you to take away from this is everything you see in life should be read through the paradigm of he wins. He wins. If I, if I were to write those words on my glasses, how would I see Jill? He wins. Now, how does that change my relationship with Jill? He wins. How does that change my relationship with Sean? He wins. What should I do with CLF? He wins. How should that change MSP? Is this making sense? So when we go next week, everything you hear, put it on your forehead, put it on your page. He wins. And the rest is details. All right, very good. So our responsibility is to live like him and leave a legacy. That's what he wants us to do. It's what we're called to do. And we're going to enter into a time of worship now. And here's, here's the key I want you to remember of all this. If I want you to walk away with one thing besides he wins, it's simply this. The way you live your life on a daily mat, on a daily the, the way you live your life every day matters. I meet way too many people that think way too much in the future or think way too much in the past. How you live your life today, I love how Pastor Mark says the most holy moment in a service is when we walk out those doors. We tend to think that what happens in these four walls is the most important. What's going to happen when you go out there? How are you going to treat the most important people in your life when you go out the doors? How are you going to talk to yourself when you go out the doors? Are you going to talk to yourself like Jesus? I heard it said one time that you should talk to yourself like your best friend does. You know, if our best friend talked to us like a lot of us talk to ourselves, we'd punch him in the face. Agreed? 
What we should really do is talk to ourselves like Christ talks to us, but let's at least start with, let's talk like we would want the most important people in our life to talk to us, right? Because how you live on a daily basis, you know the world doesn't care about revelation. They care how you live your life. They care about how you live at work. They care about how we live in our relationships. So as we dive into this study, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I can't be here for every time. But as much as you're able to, come and learn. Because here's what I promise you. The best student will win. I don't just mean win in life, but the best student will get the most out of it. Come with a notebook, or if you don't like taking notes, just come ready to learn with an attitude of, he wins, now how can I learn some more?